0: I'd like to turn to Ephesians chapter 5 if you're visiting with us we are uh, in our morning worship we're going through the book of Ephesians uh, section by section and uh, so we're coming towards the end of the study uh, and we'll do so God willing by the end of this uh, this semester before the summer really comes in but we're going to look today at the section on children and parents in chapter 6 it's on your bulletin sheet uh, chapter 6 of Ephesians, verses 1 to 4. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, this is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may lo- live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Okay, so if uh, you haven't been with us, you may be coming into this rather cold Uh, But we've been looking at the practical outworkings, the practical implications that uh, Paul gives to the church in Ephesus, uh, following on for the great, wonderful theological truths that he's sharing. And really, the theme of the whole book, going back to to chapter 1, verse 10, is God's purposes in Christ, which is to unite, to unite all things together, even in heaven and on earth, uh, through the uh, name and the person of Jesus Christ. And so unity is uh, what Christ has come to do, to bring together what sin and what the evil one is uh, desiring to always uh, rip apart, to separate us from our God, to separate us from one another, to bring in division and trouble and uh, heartache. And so through Jesus Christ and through the cross of Jesus Christ, we have this great hope of transformational unity, and that we reflect that unity in our relationship with Jesus personally, uh, and being friends with God through Christ, but also uh, together as a community, and uh, that we love one another with a Trinitarian love that reflects the grace and the love of Christ to us, and that should, as we've seen uh, over the last number of weeks, uh, affect every... um, department of our lives every area of our lives every relationship that we're in should be affected by our understanding as christians of the cross and what jesus has done for us and how grace has changed and transforms us so in many ways the injunction is always the encouragement is always uh, is never to leave the gospel just at the door when we leave the church that we don't just come and are affected by and come under the sound of the gospel in church. And then when we leave the church and when we cross the threshold and when this preacher says, Amen, we can just forget it all until we gather again. Because the gospel is to be for us transformational at every level in our workplace, in our marriage, in our homes, uh, in our studies, in everything that we do. And we see here that Paul passes this truth Uh, of unity and of uh, the lordship of jesus christ onto uh, families and onto children Uh, children are part of god's family and we know and we recognize and we appreciate that just because we have a special time for them teaching when they get taught kind of more maybe at their own level doesn't mean that because they go out uh, they're not part of the church. or uh, We're glad to get rid of them. Uh, we hope that they're very much part of everything that we do. And we encourage them as their own special little people uh, within our family. And God has a message for them. God teaches them. And as a community, as you know, uh, in the congregation, when we baptize a child, uh, then we, the children, uh, the, the, the parents take vows on behalf of Uh, the children, to bring them up in the instruction and the uh, admonition, the discipline of the Lord. And as a congregation, we do also. We pray and take vows to look after, to pray for, to love and to cherish the children that are part of this community, part of this family. So, we have God's word here for children and we also have God's word for parents. And uh, if you're not a parent, that's fine, because you're all children. We've all been children. And some of us are still children. Some of us are more children than others. Uh, But we're all children. And uh, even if we think ourselves as adults and we've passed the child stage and we're not parents, the message is still for us because it is... About how we treat one another as a family, as a community, and how we deal with the children as part of this community that we have vowed to love and, and to look after. So, what's God's word for children here? Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honour your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Live long in the land. So, God saying to the children, you're you're made a certain way. You've been made by God, and you've been made for God. And he wants children to listen to what God has to say. And we're reminding them and teaching our children that there is a God and that there is more to life than simply this world. And we're teaching them that there is a God from whom we have become estranged because of sin. We teach them all of that because we also teach them about Jesus Christ and about reconciliation. And uh, we teach them that God, therefore, through Jesus, has a message for them. And that Jesus, we teach them, is their God and Christ is their Savior and Lord and example. Now, I'm saying that because I think there's a danger in parenting for us to be uh, simply moralistic. It's hugely important to teach the truth of God's word and the truth of God's model and God's pattern for living, within the context of the cross, within the context of the centrality of the cross, and with the context of recognising the need for Jesus in bringing up our in in living for God and living in uh, in the love of God and in the grace and dependence on God. It's terribly easy to simply teach the Bible as a moralistic code in a restrictive, graceless way. It can become that. And we have to beware that we don't just teach our children moralism. We're teaching them always in the shadow of the cross in a relational way that Jesus is to be obeyed and followed because he's Lord and Savior and because God is our Father for whom Christ has opened the way for us to enjoy uh, friendship and fellowship with. There, it's hugely important to keep that perspective in mind when we're teaching our children, because otherwise they may simply see what we say as a recitation of laws. No, it is law, but it's grace law. And it's grace law in relationship with the grace saviour, Jesus Christ, who redeems us, who enables us to fulfill the law, and who enables us to love him. And of course, within that, Jesus himself is our great example of a loving, uh, uh, humble, uh, joyful obedience to his Father. Clearly, without sin, obviously. Uh, But the example of the perfect child both to his uh, earthly parents uh, and also to his heavenly father. Jesus must be central in all we teach our children, in all we say to our children, in, all, in the perspective and the balance and the direction in which we tell them and moral, uh, morally teach them. It must be in the context of Jesus Christ and the gospel and the wonder of uh, the cross and the forgiveness of the cross. And within that, therefore, we are to teach our children and say to them that God wants them to obey their parents. Children, obey your parents. Last week we looked at uh, Neil looked at wives and husbands, and there's a stronger uh, uh, word that's used here for parents and for children uh, to parents. God uh, is creator. Uh, Your parents; you are born of both of your parents. Who are? created by God. And there's sense in which in God's order, uh, they have delegated authority and responsibility uh, over you as a child. And this, uh, I'll say a little bit more about this later, but this is primarily about uh, parents bringing up children to, to the age of them becoming adults, although I think it has a broader implication, uh, application as well. But it's primarily this recognition that there's a stage in life when our, our parents have God-given authority and res- great responsibility to bring up their children, uh, recognizing who God is. And with that authority and with that grace-filled responsibility towards them, they are grown up, they have experienced a lot, they have hopefully matured and learned a great deal. And uh, there is this sense in which uh, God simpliciter asks children to obey their parents. Parents need Jesus as well within that, as we'll see. But uh, this command to obey your parents uh, is linked back to the great moral law of God in the Old Testament where they are told to honor and respect Uh, and honor or respect your uh, mother and father. This is the first commandment with a promise. So it's built into the second table of the law, which is the way we act towards one another, uh, following on from our recognition of uh, God having his rightful place as we see through uh, Jesus Christ. This is is God's norm. Now, I'm not going to spend time today on exceptions to that. There will be exceptions to that when people are asked to do Uh, obey their parents in illegality or uh, if uh, surrounded by violence or abuse um, or uh, a denial of God Uh, but as a norm this is God's pattern for society and uh, it's simply stated simpliciter obey your parents for this is right this is right it is God's law certainly and clearly But I think if we looked around us throughout the world, throughout the centuries, throughout the cultures and generations and throughout societies, it is part of natural law also that that generally speaking, uh, it's natural as well as spiritual law. It's the core of any civil society uh, and of any culture that the foundation for that is society functioning is a degree of respect and obedience to those in authority. Uh, here primarily, obviously, within the family unit, and that moves out on into society also. And the significant thing about this for us is that recognizing the role of obedience and authority within the family structure, it develops from the ground up. It develops a community morality uh, that is inbuilt into humanity and built into children it's from the heart out and so you have um, uh, within God's structures and within God's way a sense of right and wrong being built into children that um, keeps them and guides them and uh, is a foundation for them for the rest of their lives. Now, when that model is abandoned, as is the case to a greater or lesser degree in the Western civilization which we live, where that f- solid, uh, exclusive uh, development and recognition of truth being revealed and being uh, fed into the lives and hearts of our children, when that is abandoned, we find that we are left with a society where morality is fluid and it's not necessarily instilled from the very beginning. And there's a huge vacuum. And that vacuum is often then, when it's not filled at a parental level and at a child level, is filled by political ideology and is filled by a majority ethic and increasingly in the society in which we live, by legislative control. So that right and wrong is being determined from the top down, rather from the heart and the child up. Uh, so we live in a more legislative society than has ever been the case. There are more rules and regulations than we've ever seen. And society has to regulate and rule for everything because the natural sense of right and wrong isn't being and I'm speaking in generalities of course, isn't being uh, inculcated from an early age into the lives of children. There is so uh, much fluidity at that level it's very difficult, uh, and of course, uh, absolute truth is uh, rubbished and uh, denied in the society in which I live in which we live so it's very difficult to do so. So we see this uh, rightness, this goodness of what God has uh, ordered. Uh, that we teach our children. And that teaching is uh, to be, as we'll see a little bit later, uh, I just want to say at this point, it's it's, uh, not to be oppressive, it's never to be uh, uh, subservient teaching, and it's never never to be indoctrination. I'll say a little bit more about that when it comes to parents. But uh, uh, there is a, a, a caricature of that in the society in which I live, which... Council to suggest that you oppress and you, you, you bear down and you don 't give children freedom, and it 's uh, hugely indoctrinating uh, that 's not the model that we have here and that 's not the model of scripture so it 's right and it 's obedience, children have been your parents, and I think to broaden it uh, as I said I would briefly it 's a lifelong responsibility uh, and it 's a life uh, enhancing recognition it speaks of general authority I think uh, or it, it at least implies a submission to general authorities, to those who are over us uh, politically and, and in terms of, of, of moral uh, guidance in the police or whatever, that we have that sense of responsibility. But taking it back into a, 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 a personal responsibility as children. Now, you're all children here, all of you, still. Some of you will, as grown-ups, still have parents. And these parents are getting older and frailer. And they're becoming sometimes more like children again. Because of dementia or because of uh, many different uh, issues that uh, happen uh, through the ravages of old age. We're to honor them. We're not to shove them into a corner. We're not to abuse them. We're not to ignore them. We have a great duty They gave so much, sacrificed so much. And as children, it's so easy for us to grow up and spread our wings and find our independence and say, well, we don't need our parents anymore. And yet we owe so much to them. And we have such a duty, a privilege, an honor, a graceful desire, uh, we hope, to look after and care for our older people. Now, that, to me, will be a huge uh, example of uh, the outworking of grace in a Christian community that we love and respect and we honor and we listen to and uh, we care for and we support and we help the older members of our congregation and our parents, wherever they may be. It is a lifelong responsibility. And, of course, it's also... uh, 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 command here that's uh, linked with a promise this is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land this caused a lot of uh, difficulty for a lot of commentators and a lot of people as have read this it's linked to the old testament as a conflation of two different passages uh dealing with the commands and uh, it was linked to the promise made to israel as a nation as a theocratic nation uh that they would uh, inherit the land and it would be blessing that whole old testament um uh, correlation between obedience and blessing is given uh, here and spoken of here. Uh, it's broadened, uh, and it isn't connected so much to the land of Israel. Obviously, in the New Testament, there's still that uh, connection to the land. But I think it's, gen- it's, it's a general promise that's given here uh, and a general principle that blessing follows obedience. It's a general principle that if we, fo- as believers in, with grace and in the recognition that we need grace and can't do it on our own, uh, as we follow the maker's instructions, as is the case with Ikea furniture, it goes better. It, it doesn't fall apart. Uh, if we follow the instructions we're given, it tends to not fall apart when we need to use it. Because sometimes what we do is we, we look at it and we put it together And then we've realized we haven't followed the maker's instructions and the doors are on upside down or back to front and it only opens in the way, which isn't very good if you're going to hang up your clothes in there. So uh, we sometimes learn from our experiences to follow the maker's instructions. And now that is obviously, uh, uh, you can only take that example so far, but at the same level, uh, the scriptures clearly uh, reflect the sense of blessing, following obedience, obedience. Uh, by grace to God. It it speaks of what will make for stable society. It speaks of helping us to avoid many of the pitfalls of sinful behavior that will break and destroy us. And uh, I don't think it's an absolute personal promise that every obedient child will have a blessed and and long life because we we see practical examples where that hasn't been the case. God is sovereign. Uh, We live in a broken and sinful world. But there is also within that a a genuine fulfillment, uh, not only in general terms in this life, but also uh, eternally that there is this great well-being, this great life to the full, and this great hope of inheriting the uh, the new heavens and the new earth as believers in Christ. It is linked always with promise. Okay, so that is uh, God's word for children. Briefly, what is God's word here for parents? Uh, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Well, why does does Paul here just say fathers? I think there's some reasons for that. Uh, Part of it is because he is speaking within the context of... uh, uh, the submission and role and uh, uh, division uh, of roles between uh, men and women in marriage uh, and he goes on to speak about uh, uh, children and recognizing uh, the headship role of the of spiritual leadership as Neil was speaking about last week um, that, and I think within that the recognition that probably fathers tend to fail in this area greatly and in the context of the society in which uh, uh, the Ephesians were living, the Roman society, fathers were very much regarded as autocratic, who had the right to punish, enslave, sell, and dispose of their children at will. So it's very much bringing grace into a radical transformation of the, the cultural model of fatherhood uh, as it existed in that time. But I think it is perfectly legitimate to broaden it to parents uh, following the command being to honor the father and mother uh, in this passage. But primarily, uh, it's, it's firstly negative. Don't, um, don't provoke your children to anger. The NIV, has don't, which I like, don't exasperate. Your children, or it could be uh, translated, don't goad them to resentment, which is what is being said here. And I think the uh, outworking of authority here is very similar to what Neil spoke about last week. It's power to, rather than power over. It's not it's not recognising responsibilities, power over children, but really power to bless and to do them good and to uh, recognise responsibilities. The danger, as parents, as sinful parents as we are, is to frustrate our children, is to be unjust with them. Children know, you know, there is a sense that they have a, a, a natural searching out for justice and right and wrong. And if we are unjust, they will say, well, why are you doing this? Don't discipline them. In anger, when we have not got control of our own tempers, how can we uh, discipline them for lack of control over theirs? So recognize that temptation, because believe you me, it will happen as parents, if you aren't already, you will find wells of temptation and temper that you never thought you had, or if you thought you had, you thought you'd learned by the Holy Spirit to control. Don't be unkind. Don't exploit them. Don't manipulate them. Don't crush them. Don't put undue pressure, ambitious parents, on your children to achieve so that they are uh, uncomfortable and exasperated and frustrated uh, and not allowing them to be children. Allow your children to be children. They're not little big people. They're not little adults. They haven't developed and matured and learned all the things that you have. And so let them be children. Let them be immature. Let them run around because they're children. Don't set for them an unattainable standard that you never reached. And yet you expect them to reach because you want them to be the perfect perfect offspring that you can show to other people. Don't be inconsistent. Don't be distant. Don't be irrational. Don't be absent. Fathers, don't be absent. Children are passing so quickly. They grow up so quickly. Don't be absent and use the excuse of working hard to provide for them as a reason for being absent. They want you there. They want to see you. They want to know you and love you and wrestle with you and play with you because they're children. So don't exasperate them. And it's so easy for us to exasperate them. But also, positively, do example and educate them. Into Christ. That's what we're to do. Educate and example them into Christ. Bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And we saw that great example of that from Deuteronomy 11, where there's this great sense in which they're walking with, they're around the children, they're telling them about the Lord, they're instructing and disciplining and speaking to them all the time. And that great word there, uh, bring them up, is just the word for nurturing. You know, caring, caring lovingly, feeding them, protecting them, loving them greatly. That is the great word uh, uh, uh nurturing, bringing them up. Exampling to them Christ. That's what fathers and mothers are to do. They're to example Christ to their children in their personal faith, in their marriage as husband and wife, as mom and dad. Because remember... You are, as mum and dad, the first example that they will see of relational grace. And remember that they see you as you are, warts and all. And they see exactly what you're like behind closed doors. And they will see inconsistency. Dad is so different in a pulpit from in the home. Mum is so different when she meets her Christian friends from when she's putting me to bed. An inconsistency Something that shows that there's a a public dimension to your faith that is cast aside when the door is closed. So we go out of church and we forget about grace, but we go into the home and we put on a different persona. May that not be the case as we nurture them in faith. We are similarly to develop their character so that they blossom as individuals, giving them the freedom... Which they so badly need, and also the parameters that they can 't live without children, despite what modern philosophical thinking will tell us, children like parameters, children like to know what they can and what they can't do now of course, of course, as we say, that isn't about uh, uh, barriers all the time, but children do need and love to know the security with which. They can live within the family and allowing them to develop and changing these parameters as they grow. Now, we live in a really difficult society, I think, to bring up children, Uh, and we can't be their conscience. We can teach their conscience. We can educate their conscience. We can uh, mold their conscience. We can pray for their conscience, but we can't be their conscience. Our task is to set them free. That's what we're doing. It's the hardest thing of all. Our task is, is to move children towards independence in terms of adulthood so that they can make decisions and they can stand on their own, And, but not spiritual independence, stand in reliance on Jesus Christ themselves. Remember that. And that is a really difficult thing to do. As parents, sometimes we want to just keep them. We want to protect them. So much so that they never learn and never get hurt and never grow. And uh, we want always to be the decision maker in their life, even when they're 47. That doesn't work. It shouldn't work. We should be pushing them towards uh, standing on their own two feet, uh, preparing them for adulthood. Now, that takes great time. And that takes great wisdom. And it takes many tears. And it takes great forgiveness. Because we're failed and we're fallen as parents. And our children need to know that. Nurture and education. Nurture and education. Discipline and instruction of the Lord. Hugely important that we are instructing our children. We don't bring up our children as morally neutral and say, Well, we'll just kind of let them live a laissez-faire kind of way. And then when they're big, they can make their choice about right and wrong. No, we don't do that in any other area of life. We don't say to kids, you cross the road any way you want, and if you get hit, well, you'll learn about next time not to get hit. We teach our children about when to cross and what to do, and we do it morally with the gospel because it's true and because it's good and because it's transformed our lives and because it's the, it's the, it's, uh, the way to life and life eternal. Now, that must that teaching and education of truth must never be coercive or indoctrinating we're not doing that genuine education genuine teaching of our children good teaching is to be grace-filled and is to encourage questions and encourage openness and encourage failure and allow failure to happen and allow the the uh, atmosphere in the home to allow for that because we're all failures And we need forgiveness and grace. And so there's this great sense in which it is challenging and teaching, but with great freedom and with great openness and with great desire to answer. The children ask the most amazing questions. And if you don't know anything about the gospel, you will be exposed as a Christian parent by your children's deep questions about life and death. They're not not interested sometimes in candy and sweets. Kids can be really interested in the deepest issues of life. They can be afraid to close their eyes at night because they're they're scared of of dying. And we need to not just brush these questions aside. Ah, you're okay, you're healthy and fit. We need to speak with them. And we need to engage them, and we need to teach them and answer their questions. And if we don't know the answer, just tell them we don't know and go and find out the answer. And if there isn't an answer, just tell them. Well, we will never know. just believe by faith because sometimes that is required. And discipline them lovingly. Give them these parameters. Teach them right and wrong. Recognize that there are consequences for how we behave. And sometimes these consequences require punishment. Lovingly, this is hurting me more than it's hurting you. Kids never believe that. And sometimes it's not true. Sometimes we enjoy it in our sinfulness but let's not do that let's be very careful and let's punish them and discipline them in great love and recognition of the need for parameters don't just distract them with something else so that they never learn the difference between right and wrong now that of course will take huge amount of time uh, to teach them the scripture to teach them the stories but to teach them, not just the stories, because sometimes kids then grow up thinking that the Bible is just about stories, about floods and about, uh, you know, walls falling down, which, of course, I think we've probably gone the other way and we don't tell them the stories enough now. But it's, it's stories with a purpose, part of God's redemptive plan that leads us to the cross. And teach them about the morality and the ethics and the gospel as well. Hugely important. Worship with them at home. Open the Bible, and, and I think it's a dying... It's a dying... Uh, culture within the church to have worship at home uh, apply the but don't just read the Bible and close it and then go okay we're going on with life, we've done it if there's difficult bits that, that we've read the Bible together with them, try and explain it try and apply it, they have to apply the truth of scripture to the, the morass of challenges that they face particularly say with the likes of social media and how to deal with that we can't reinvent we can't uninvent these things We need to give them the parameters and the morality and the the inner knowledge to deal with the temptations of social media uh, and what that can bring into their brains and into their hearts and into their homes uh, that we can't police all the time. And if we do try and police it, it will be a disaster. Pray with them about these things. Teach them about these things. Take them to God's house. God says God. Take them to where we gather together and worship and take them and allow them to meet other friends at kids' church and then take them again to evening church so they learn to be part of the community as we worship throughout the day and teach them that habit. Sometimes sometimes it's not all going to be fun. Sometimes it, it, there is duty and there is right and wrong, and it is a battle. We need can't always give children just... Christianity is hey-ho, it's brilliant, it's fun, Jesus loves you and everyone's wonderful because it is a battle and it is a struggle and the Bible talks about persevering and the Bible says that we've got an enemy of our soul and the Bible makes clear to us what's the difference and so we need to do that uh, for our children. And very, very briefly as we finish, uh, can I remind you as a congregation that we are a family together. It's not just for parents and for children. It's for all of us. Children will have and will continue to have a special place in this congregation. They need your time. They need your patience. They need your effort. They're not a nuisance. They're not just getting under your feet and in the way. They are little people. They are individuals. We love them. We pray for them. We baptize them. They have names. If you can, I know it's difficult. We've wonderfully blessed with having eight uh, women in the congregation who are expecting children next wee while and we've had many in this last year uh, and the last number of years and it's difficult to keep up sometimes with the children and their names but do try and work out the names and remember them they're not just things they're people with names who are loved by their parents greatly and loved by us so uh, And you have the great advantage over them that they don't have over you. You've been there. You've been a child. You've grown up. You know what it's like. They don't. It's all just a big mystery and a big excitement to them. For us, we've been there and we know what it's like. And many of you will probably know what what, what it was like to be in church as a child. And some of you will have really miserable memories of what it was like to be in church. You couldn't wait to get away from it. So bear that in mind. With the children here and with the way we think about children and church ourselves, invest in them. And do, can I ask you as we close, support parents at this crucial time. It's not about favoritism. It's not about our emphasis. It's simply, uh, you know, we're not to resent them or to ignore them or to avoid them or to go into our, our little non-parent group or our big non-parent group and, and socialize with them. Remember them. Remember the stress that they may well be under. Uh, And we've all got stress, but sometimes parental stress will be added to all the other stress. The lack of sleep, uh, the discipline uh, and the uh, parenting issues, the struggles, the exhaustion, the feeling of great inadequacy that as parents we have. Help them, pray for them, plead with them, encourage them. Think of, if they're slightly older kids maybe, or maybe even if they're very young babies, think of offering to babysit for them once in a while so they can go out and have a meal together and have some adult chat, which they may not have had for two years, (laughs) as they talk about nappies and everything else that goes with it. So it's about the practical outworking of grace that transforms what we are so that we don't simply think about ourselves in our lives, but that we are united That's the whole, the glorious depth of the theology of this passage, of this book, speaks wonderfully practically into our lives, as this passage uh, reminds us. So let us be people who uh, take our grace-filled Christianity into our parenting and into our love for our children and our, our parents. Let's bow our heads and pray. Lord, help us to do this. And forgive us because so often we fail and we feel sometimes that uh, there are years that locusts have eaten that we don't think we can get back. Uh, we often feel that there are times that we would love to change as parents things uh, and start again. We rejoice. We, we can even feel that as Christians that we want to start our Christian lives again. It doesn't happen and yet you don't hold it against us uh, You know us, you understand us, you simply ask us to be confessional, uh, confessing our needs and coming to you afresh every day to be able to honor our parents, to be able to obey our parents, to be able to uh, uh, love our children and to nurture them and to teach them the right way and to be able to do it in a congregational context also with the families and individuals that are there. Lord, we pray that you'd bless our children. We love them and we're so grateful for them. We recognize what a special privilege they are and what a precious bundle they are, each of them. And we ask and pray that we would constantly uh, pray for them, plead for them, and plead that uh, all that we do, that nothing would cause a stumbling block, nothing would cause them to turn away from you. Jesus' own strong words about that, better a millstone be thrown around our neck and be thrown into the depths of the sea and cause one of these little ones to stumble may that not be the case with us and may we have great love and honor for our parents and obedience to them as children growing up and then as adults for them as they grow older give us great honor and respect and care for them in time be with them when they struggle with ill health and when they struggle with the fear of losing their minds and losing their bodily functions and losing their abilities and losing their friends. Lord, remind us of all of these things and remind us uh, of your purposes for a new heavens and a new earth where none of these failures and brokenness and tears will be evident but which in Christ we will know as a place of joy and fulfillment and perfection. Enable us to live towards that and live in the light of your glorious grace uh, and forgiveness. In Jesus Christ's name, we ask these things. Amen.